are few things more exciting in politics than a leadership convention, all kinds of backroom intrigue. So let's get a guide to what to expect when the NDP pick their new leader this weekend. The insiders have helped shape these things in the past. Jamie Watt from the Conservatives, Kathleen Monk from the NDP, and David Hurley from the Liberals. Normal rules, folks, nonpartisan learning lessons for uh, all of us. I should say, Jamie's in London, England this week, and Kathleen's in Ottawa, David's here in Toronto. Um, you're running one of the leadership candidates uh, at a convention, a leadership convention. What are you trying to uh, control on the convention floor when this thing really gets going? Kathleen? Well, there's a couple things you want to control. You want to control what's happening on the floor, but it's important to remember that there's only going to be about 3% of NDP members present in Toronto next weekend. So you also have to control what's happening at home. So one thing you want to do on the floor of convention is have uh, floor teams moving around the room, watching other campaigns, seeing what they're moving, maybe overhearing what they're saying, and making sure you have lines of open communication to those teams. At home, you want to make sure that you're, uh, through your team, your email, your supporters, you're sending out uh, messages over social media to make sure that if you make a move, for instance, if you drop off the ballot or you move to another candidate, that your supporters move with you. All right. It's important to note, of course, that you can take part in this at home if you're an NDP member. You can vote online. Jamie, uh, what are you thinking? What's the most important thing in trying to control the floor? Yeah, I'd actually build on the point that Kathleen made and uh, the fact that 97% of those members are at home. I'd be controlling for the pictures, the pictures that are going out, especially if I'm not in first place. Uh, you don't want pictures uh, going into the home that show visually on television that your campaign is over. So, and, 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 and conversely, you can also, you know, by controlling those pictures, picking out the right spots on the convention floor, dressing your supporters colorfully and distinctively, you can actually actually take your support and magnify it and give your, your campaign a sense of visual momentum for those people at home. David? Well, because of what Jamie and Kathleen have mentioned about the, most of the people not being in the convention, this is going to be much more difficult to manage. Most conventions have a dynamic of their own, and that's what you're trying to manage, the momentum in the room. But in this case, the floor of the convention is really across the country on the Internet. And so that's going to be much more difficult for managers to, uh, for campaign managers to get a handle on and to keep control of. But I would say one critical thing is the front runner needs to have expectations in line. The front runner will have expectations for how strong they will be, as will every candidate, frankly, but it's most important for the frontrunner not to disappoint on what the expectations for their first ballot total will be. All right, let me pick up on the frontrunner advice question. What's your best advice for frontrunners? Jamie. Uh, my best for frontrunners, you know, Peter, that nostalgia sign that's made a comeback from the Second World War, keep calm and carry on? <laughs> well, I think that's what you want to say. You want that sign in front of everybody and your frontrunners team. It's not a time to overreach. It's not a time to take any risk. It's just keep calm, low bridge, even to the point of banality, you know, so that you don't make any last-minute mistakes and you just get over the finish line. Banality. That's advice. And Kathleen, what's yours? Well, <laughs> Jamie's certainly right. You want to keep smiling if you're the front runner and you want to stay silent mainly. But what's also important is that the race ends early. If you're the front runner, you want it only to go maybe one, two ballots. So you have a decisive victory. That will help with caucus unity moving forward and actually show that the majority of the membership were behind you. All right. What if you're not the front runner? David. 
Well, if you're not the front runner, you're trying to coalesce all of the animosity that has built up in the campaign toward the front runner. So you're desperately trying to arm twist and build coalitions among people who you can persuade don't have a chance to win themselves but do have an interest in your victory. So building coalitions among the non-front runners is the number one job of a non-front runner. Kathleen? Yeah, I'd also say, though, if you're not a front runner, um, I guess don't give up. I mean, there's been many cases of leadership races in the past where a person who's come in fourth or fifth even has leapfrogged over other candidates to win. Like, let's look at Dalton McGuinty in the in the uh, late 90s in the Ontario leader leadership, leader leadership race. Um, he won. He was in fourth ballot, but then he leapfrogged over all the candidates to take it from the supposed front runner who was Gerard Kennedy at the time. I, I love it how you can't even use the word liberal. <laughs> it doesn't come off the tongue well. I don't know why. <laughs> Jamie, uh, moving Eugene it. Eugene Whalen made the same mistake in his convention right. speech in 1984. Right. That's right. <laughs> um, Jamie, uh, let's move it ahead to you're not a front runner. And not only are you not a front runner, but it's becoming very clear that you don't have a chance. When's right. the best time to drop out? Well, you should have had that figured out long before the convention started, and uh, you should actually have a pretty, your campaign team should have a pretty good idea what's going to happen under various scenarios. If it's really clear that you're not going to win, and you're not going to have one of these come from, you know, Joe Clark, Dalton McGuinty, Stephon Dion miracles, then you better get to end game as fast as you possibly can, and go to make a difference in someone else's race, or at least go and make it look like you gave made a difference in someone else's race. Martha Hall Finley would be an example of that with Monsieur Dion. And the faster you do that, the better off you're going to be. But it's a tough decision because candidates are hoping against hope that they'll have some kind of uh, miracle. Now, I guess it, it, a lot depends on the advice you're getting up front, David. How hard is it to convince a candidate that, you know, it's not going to happen? Very, very difficult. We talked in the past on this program about how most candidates in ridings think they're going to win their riding election, and most candidates for leadership think that there's a scenario in which they can win as well. And they've got the dreams, as Kathleen pointed out, of the people that come from fourth or third spot, and they can see that playing out for themselves. And so most candidates, unfortunately, don't come to that conclusion until it's blindingly obvious to everybody else that they're going to lose. And by that point, their influence uh, has diminished. The people that make the most impact are the people who move early. Sinclair Stevens in 1976 moved to Joe Clark who was in the middle of the pack at that point, plucked him out of the pack and put him in position to win in 1976 and Mr. Stevens was personally rewarded for that. Mitchell Sharp dropped out right before the convention in 1968 before a single ballot had been cast and threw his support to Trudeau and ultimately was a significant factor in Trudeau edging over the finish line on the fourth ballot. So move early as Jamie said. Kathleen, how do you make that decision though if you're dropping out whether or not to support somebody or to release your delegates and say you go where you want to go. Well, it's not risk-free. I think going to another candidate, throwing your support behind someone um, can result in a few things. I think we look at the 2006 Liberal leadership race where George Kennedy was named the kingmaker because he walked his support over to Stefan Dion at the time. His political stock went up, but then when the leadership of Stefan Dion did not uh, pan out, if you will, his stock, political stock, that is, crashed. And I think those are the risks that you have to consider before you throw your weight behind somebody. That said, also, you have to make sure you can actually deliver the vote. It's a bit, quite an embarrassment to say you're throwing your support behind a candidate and then your votes, your supporters, don't come with you. Jamie? 
Yeah, I, I, that's the point I was going to make, uh, Peter, that uh, you have to make a decision. If, first of all, if you want to take your support to somebody else, and then secondly, if you can take your support. And uh, now that we, we can actually see if that worked or not, people have got to make that calculation very carefully. Well, the one thing we know uh, with absolute certainty is somebody's going to win. Uh, but it's also likely to be a party that is somewhat divided, as all parties are at the end of a leadership convention, unless it's a one-candidate race. Uh, how do you try to calm those waters immediately? I've only got a minute and a half left, so it's a quick uh, piece of advice from each of you, and starting with Kathleen. I think you uh, need to make the hard decision and, and be humble. I think immediately the new leader needs to meet with caucus members who didn't support them, meet with staff and members of the party at large, bring them in, make the win about more than just themselves, make it about the party and move forward because there's only 1,300 days to the next election and they have to start preparing for that. Jamie or David, you've uh, witnessed more than a few of these things. What's the major piece of advice you'd give? Well, thanks for asking me, uh, Peter, because this is my area of expertise. <clears throat> Unifying parties after divisive leadership races. And uh, so I would endorse everything that Kathleen said, magnanimity, magnanimity on the part of the winner and humility on the part of the losers, and both of those are generally in short supply. But to that, I would add, win the next election. If you don't, you're in trouble, and if you do, you're likely fine. You get the last word, Jamie. All right, what I'd add to that is to remember that these are the toughest race in politics. It's friend against friend. It's comrade against comrade. And to remember that and be generous, as, as my colleagues have said, but also to remember it's going to take time. And it's going to take time to heal some of the wounds that have taken place and to just give each other that time. All right, great stuff and great advice. I hope all the candidates were listening. Uh, a reminder that both the insiders and at issue will be part of our weekend coverage of the NDP convention. You can catch them on both CBC Television and CBC News Network.